General Tiempo, commander of the Western Region World Defense, is in London for an operation. Any brain operation is delicate. Do you anticipate any complication? Will the patient be conscious throughout? Yes, they use a local anesthetic. Dr. Magnus needs to check the patient's reaction. Give me the electrodes. I'll take over the pulsator. Welcome to Spectrum in Review with me, Danny Stables. And me, Chris Rigby. And we're here to discuss the 1960s Jerry Anderson Super Marionation series, Captain Scarlet. And today we are going to cover episode 8, Operation Time. So Chris, before we get started, I just wanted to mention, we are actually a quarter of the way through the series now. It doesn't seem like that long ago that we started this whole thing, so just to think that we're a quarter of the way through is... It's pretty, pretty shocking, actually. Well, time is literally flying by as we go through this series. So, yep, I think we've, we've hit a milestone and I just thought I'd like to get that out of the way and just get your reaction. And as I anticipated, your reaction was shock. Oh, wonder, joy. I'm in a glass case of emotion. I might compare it to Daria from MTV's. I've actually been watching Daria, so... Oh, have you? Yeah, <laughs> literally. Well, you tell me, isn't, isn't the rumour that they're going to make a new series? I do not know. I've only been watching the original 90s series. What a series that is. If anyone's not seen that... It's great. Incredible. It's probably... Well, it, it, it's not... It is definitely a spin-off from Beavis and Butthead, but she was just like a nothing character. And they've just com- expanded it to the point where I would argue, I'm sorry guys, I think it's funnier than Beavis and Butthead. Just, just life goals to be like her. Just to tell it like it is and not give a damn about what anyone thinks. I think a lot of people have grown up to be like her, and I think that is a problem. But that, we digress, that is not the topic of discussion in this podcast. Although I'd I probably go and check out some Daria podcasts after this. But Chris, we're here to discuss Captain Scarlet. Now, have you been up to much since we last spoke? I mean, again, we, we're fully in the midst of a pandemic at the moment, so it's sort of restricting what we can do outside of the confines of our house. But have you been doing anything? No, not really. I'm very tired at the minute. The world's are, are not a very good place to be in at the minute, and it's just drained the life out of me. So maybe it's a good thing that I'm stuck inside. Well, let's let's get stuck inside the world of Spectrum, and let's review Captain Scarlet. So I don't know if you're ready to rock and roll, yes, Chris. Yes, I am. Let's, let's go for it. Okay, so episode eight, Operation Time. <laughs> So just before we begin, so this episode originally aired on the 17th of November in 1967, and it was co-written by a man called Richard Conway. So, I mean, do you know anything about this guy before I give you some some facts about him? No, I did not. 
but I did a quick Google of him just to familiarise myself with his work. So Richard Conway was a guy who obviously co-wrote this particular episode, but he, he would receive credit. So not just writing credits. I think you sort of told me before we started recording that it was more effects credits, but he was involved in such productions as Flash Gordon, Conan the Barbarian, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and as I said, The Labyrinth. And of course, Chris being a huge fan of The Labyrinth, particularly one scene featuring David Bowie, and we'll leave it there. Slander. Um, but he'd go on to have quite a prolific career within the production. So I don't know if, if having done the research and having watched the episode, I mean, do you feel anything about that? Do you feel like his skills were evident at that point due to the quality of this episode, poor or otherwise? Not as a writer. His visual effects, yeah. If he had, I know Derek Meddings what? did the special effects for Captain Scarlet, but if he was the one who planned out the events that take place in Operation Time, then yeah, they're very clear because as always, Captain Skull is really good for action and there are a few scenes in this which were particularly good. Well, we don't actually know if Richard Conway had anything to do with the effects, but if he did, I agree with you, mate, I think in this episode in particular. If he co-wrote the episode, he would have had involvement of say, oh, this is going to be a chase scene, be in the script. So we'll have some involvement in what takes place, just not how it's choreographed. Based on the title of the episode, what were your initial thoughts and then what did you think following that? Did it meet your expectations? I was completely baffled by the title. I had no idea what it was going to be. You know, I was thinking maybe it was Time spelled T-H-Y-M-E and that the Mistrons were going to make everyone's food terrible and bland by taking the whale supply of time. Well, it would ruin the Scarborough Fair song, definitely. Parsley, sage, rosemary and... Blank. Oh, okay, well, that's given us absolutely nothing there, Chris, but let's see what happens then when we review the episode, so... Let's get on with it. After the series intro that we've grown to love now, so the alleyway scene, we, we don't need to describe it again. I have a question regarding this alleyway scene. Okay. And it's baffled me for the last eight weeks... And I'm still trying to figure out what it is. So it's taking you to get through a quarter of the series before you've asked me this question. Yeah, I always forget and then remember when I watch the next episode. All right, there's a bit in the intro where there's a whip pan and there's this weird noise that sounds like someone stepped on a cat. Do you know what that noise is? Is it meant to be a cat? I would imagine it's supposed to be a cat because it's an alleyway. I mean, this is if if there was ever a question that was going to stimulate any comments about this podcast, this will probably be it. Because my interpretation is it's a cat. I, I thought it was a cat as well, because I couldn't think it could be anything else, but it was... I mean, did Captain Scarlet step on a cat's tail? Or the guy following? I mean, your guess is as good as mine, Chris. I, I think it's probably a cat, because it's an alleyway, and alleyways are associated with cats. If the aristocrats are to be believed, or cats versus dogs, or fire or goes west. film cats... Yeah, so cats are plenty, but nothing to do with cats at the moment. So we, as a, as we get back to the the episode at hand, so come on, come on. After the alleyway scene, which may or may not contain cats, has finished, we open with a POV of a patient who's going to be later identified as Mr. Morgan is looking up at an operation theater ceiling as a sheet is carefully placed over his forehead. The camera pulls back to reveal the operation theatre containing numerous medical team members and a doctor whose name is revealed to be Dr. Magnus gains consent from Morgan to begin the procedure after reviewing his x-ray. There's a shot straight from a David Lynch film that this eerie pan in to a light. What did you think of Barry Gray's music composition then? Yeah, it's like everything in that one shot. It set a really good precedent for the episode and I felt 
straight away from this opening scene that this episode was going to be entirely different from the eight episodes that we've seen otherwise. So two medical students watch on throughout the proceedings and explain that the patient is under local anaesthetic throughout this procedure so that Magnus can judge patient's reaction. Magnus performs the procedure whilst patient's observations are read back to him and the cerebral pulsator is activated as the electrodes are placed on the forehead of the patient. The students remark that this is the critical stage of the procedure as Magnus takes control of the electrodes. One mistake and this could prove fatal and just as he begins the process of the procedure the titles operation time are presented on the screen. Did you know anything else about the or did you know anything else about the puppets? No no I did not. <laughs> no I did not Ken. So in essence these were the puppets that were going to be used originally for the MEV team that were the company Captain Black to Mars in the Mistrons. So the puppet to the left of that scene was an original prototype for Captain Scarlet and the figure on the right was actually going to be part of the MEV crew as well. So there actually is a photo in Chris Bentley's book which shows the original shot but at the time I think they thought that he looked too similar to Captain Scarlet and so the actual flight team were changed for the first episode. Uh, any other thoughts from yourself, Chris? I was going to say, this is probably one of my favourite openings that we've had so far. It's really mysterious. Like, it's something we haven't seen in, in Captain Scarlet, and it's completely beyond what we usually expect from Captain Scarlet. So it was quite like, what's this? What's going on? And the two um, students, they provide exposition. They provide like not too much exposition like it still feels mysterious and weird this whole scene i was like what's going on and more importantly i need to know what's going on because this is really interesting to me just the eeriness of it because of the score by barry gray and the only problem i had with this little bit is i just would have liked to know a bit more about dr magnus or what the operation is because he explained how it works but you know what what's the purpose of the operation well, there's no purpose to it well there is a purpose to it if you have got an astute eye for detail and i will reveal that as the scene is appropriate okay so there is an actual procedure in place okay so we get the opening credit sequence again of the cast of characters of spectrum where the mistrons are going to reveal their threat and their threat is that we will kill time and of course referring to the cues going into your local Tesco currently. I was thinking more of scrolling through Instagram and watching a few YouTube videos. Yep, I think we've all been there. Yeah, what's the best way to kill time? I think now more than ever, killing time is very important. So we cut to Cloudbase where Colonel White, Captain Scarlet, Blue, Grey and Ochre discuss the meaning of the threat. So they note that their computer has compiled a list of anything associated with time. And this has resulted in a 14 microfile long search. And Colonel White rightly says this is too vast and they need to narrow the search. So a worldwide alert to all Spectrum agents is made and field headquarters is set up in New York, which are going to be headed by Captain Blue. Rio de Janeiro, which will be headed by Captain Grey. Captain Oak is going to be based in Moscow and Captain Scarlet in London. Lieutenant Green asks Colonel White if the Mistron threat could be a trick. But Colonel White is adamant that the Mistrons are going to destroy something or somebody. So how long do you think this file was? Because as soon as he said... That's 12 microfilms long. It's like, bang, how long is a microfilm? 30 metres. So it's just under, what, 100 metres worth of film, which doesn't seem that much. Yeah, but within each film, because that's not just one document, is it? One roll of film can be loads of documents. Well, it says microfile, so you could either interpret that as microfilm, like you've said, and even then amongst that, because it's going to be photographed into a film. You don't know how thick it constitutes. 
But then also, if it's microfile, and we're talking like common day, you're talking like kilobytes. I mean, an average note or an average document about 20 kilobytes. I mean, there's no point. I think it's the point they're trying to get across there. So they're going to have to use their intellect. They're all going to have to jet it off to uh, some awesome location. Well, I was I was thinking this. I made a note of this. This would be a brilliant subplot for each captain. If this was like a, a Thunderbird's running time of like 50 minutes, I think you could do some great scenes of each captain in their various posts. Captain Grey chilling in Rio de Janeiro, where there's probably absolutely nothing going on. Well, no, he's Just a swimmer, him isn't he? On the beach. Captain Grey is a swimmer. Is he? That's his background. So whether that's deliberate or not, I thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Chilling on the beach. You know, Captain Blue getting a bagel. You know, <laughs> New York. Captain Oka, I mean, I don't know what his background is. I'm sure when it's appropriate, we will look at Captain Oka's background because we have got it. And of course, Captain Scarlet in London. He has a an affinity to London, as we've seen already. Yeah, go visit the car view, or where the car view used to be. Or, or the car park. Just drive around London. Yeah. Looking for drunk people to pick up. Likes to drive outside of London and get himself blown up as well. So... We then cut to a new scene where Dr. Magnus is waiting outside the London hospital grounds where he and his colleague Turner discuss the outcome of Morgan's recovery, so Morgan being the patient he's operated on. Uh, Magnus confirms the procedure is to go ahead tomorrow and that he'll go and see the general right away. So as Magnus drives away, the camera pans towards a car in the street with his headlights lit and the camera zooms in on Captain Black, the return of Captain Black. Black. Black pursues Again. Dr. Magnus in his car. I know you're one for noticing shots of that linger too long on uh, characters' faces. So what did you think of uh, Dr. Magnus's colleague, Mr. Turner, and his unusually long shot on his face? Well, I'm sure, Chris, as you know, I'm a WWE fan, and that is quite common, unfortunately, where the camera just lingers for far too long. Um I didn't want to mention it because I thought this is getting silly now. I, I focus on it too much. But did you know that Turner was actually named after one of the directors of Captain Scarlet, uh, Ken Turner? No, I, I did not. A little bit of a celebrity there. But all I can think of is maybe he's just sort of like for dramatic effect, he's going to see him for the last time. I thought it may have been the fact that Magnus is walking to his car and they don't want to show him walking to his car because, as we know, the puppets are hard to handle when it comes to too showing to accurate hold. representations. Yeah. What, what did you get about? What did you think about the valet? So we didn't mention, but Magnus uh, is waiting outside for the valet to bring his car to the front of the London hospital. I tell you what, I did notice about him his blistering blue suit that he was wearing. Love See that thing? Him. It's very distinct. I'll give him that. But did you notice what his name was? No. Benson. I was wondering if um, there would be any Thunderbird references. Well, is it a Thunderbird's reference? I don't know. I, I just Who's the guy who drives Parker. Lady Penelope? <laughs> Parker. Uh... Benson. <laughs> what? Before we move on, I mean, the fashion-wise, both looking quite dapper. Yeah, I like the Turner's trench coat. Very of the time. Well, I say of the time. I mean, very 1967 not 2067. Well, who knows? But yeah. Maybe 2068 fashion is, is reverted back. Retro. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, if you've ever seen Mad Men, he, he struck me as a, a very, a Roger, you know, from, uh, what's his surname? I can't remember. I don't watch Mad Men. To be honest, I watched one episode and was like, nah, I, I don't get this. 
But I'm sure I should probably give it another chance. I think it's one of those series... I mean, you shouldn't do this with any series, should you? But it's not a series you could just have on in the background. I think you need to really be paying attention because there's so many subtleties in it. I think everything pays off. It's a well-written series. Nothing is wasted. Every scene is important. And so... Okay. It's like when I watched Game of Thrones the first time. I wasn't... It was just white noise in it and I missed all the, the nuances of it and as soon as I actually went back and watched it the way you should watch it I realised why it you know gained all the hype it had and Mad Men is very much like that but it is slow okay. but, but definitely worth it but we digress What did you think of this use of Captain Black? Because at the minute we, we rarely see him would you like to see more of Captain Black in these these scenarios? Because he's, he's used very sparingly. And as much as I feel like that's a good thing because he's your main villain and don't want him to be in every episode because then the show will become incredibly boring. But I do want to see more of Captain Black. Well, I, I'm a big fan of Captain Black, as you know, because I'm more intrigued about what happened to him, basically. It would be nice that had this series carried on and very few Jerry Anderson series would get a second series. It would have been good to maybe go back and do like a prequel episode and see him as an actual Spectrum officer. But I think whenever he's on screen, he is like the angel of death. I think he's, when he's there, you know something's about to happen. And as we yeah. will get into, something is about to happen with Captain Black involved. So Dr. Magnus arrives at the Westbourne Clinic and he's been tailed by Captain Black who is lying in wait outside the clinic grounds in his car. We cut inside the hospital room where an individual is reading quietly and as Dr. Magnus enters he informs the general that the procedure is due to go ahead tomorrow as planned which pleases the general. Magnus asks the general to sign a release and despite the general's inquiries as to whether this is a sign of something that could go wrong Magnus assures the general that he has performed a similar brain surgery that day and the patient is fine so the general signs the release jf tempo uh, did you know do you think that was a nod to jfk at all i just saw jf before well i did see the jf and thought maybe but i i feel like it's coincidental perhaps uh, well, possibly i mean i'm clutching at straws but i think i'd like to think that was a nod to jfk so dr magnus leaves the clinic and is pursued by captain black as Magnus drives, he becomes uneasy at Black's pursuit as he looks at him in the rearview mirror and is stopped at the red lights at a crossroad. So as Magnus waits impatiently for the lights to change, Captain Black reveals a pistol and fires at Dr. Magnus, missing his head but shattering his windscreen. So as Magnus runs the red light, a car is luckily passing the opposite side of the crossroads, blocking Captain Black from pursuing. Magnus repeatedly checks his rearview mirror to see if Captain Black is shoot, and there is no sign. As Magnus tries to calm himself down, we hear a gunfire and car headlights appear in Magnus's rearview mirror, and Black has returned. As Magnus approaches a bend in the road adjacent to a cliff edge, Black manages to fire a gunshot at Magnus's tyre, causing his car to crash and careen over the edge of the cliff. An epic explosion follows, and the crumpled body of Dr. Magnus is lying amongst the debris as we see the green rings of the Mistrons hover over the dead body of Magnus. The camera slowly ascends up the cliff where we see the Mistron agent of Dr. Magnus. We then hear the voice of Captain Black appear behind him and relays the message, tomorrow you will kill time. Tomorrow you will kill time. Probably the highlight of the episode, this chase, I loved it. Probably the, the most well shot scene of this episode. Um, I loved the, the little the headlights appearing in the wing mirror of Dr. Magnus's car. And, of course, the slow pan up to see the mistronized Dr. Magnus. 
looking at his own dead body. Reminded me very much of a Hitchcock film. Have you just decided the second Hitchcock reference already? See, we've got a Lynch and Hitchcock reference. I'm trying to stick with what brought me to the dance, which is film knowledge. This whole episode felt like the Hitchcock film. I mean, except it'd be more Hitchcock if Dr. Magnus survived. And the whole episode was, why is this strange man after me? And he didn't know that the Mistrons were trying to take him over. But like up until this point, or especially this point, where it's like, why is this man shooting at me for no reason? It's very Hitchcockian. Well, I just loved it from start to finish. So obviously Black tails him. And initially there's no dialogue. He's just in hot pursuit. Black's just tailing him. And Magnus yeah. doesn't say anything. He just keeps looking at his rear view mirror. He does it once, cuts back to him, he does it again. And then again, so you can tell he's getting nervous. You don't have to say anything. It's just, you know, getting a bit uneasy at first. It's just, you know, there's someone behind me. But then obviously as the scene progresses. Yeah, it becomes more paranoid. Yeah. Did you like his little line at the traffic lights? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Heard those words before. Uh, have we? Sorry, I'm... As Captain Blue. Oh, of course, yes. How could I forget? Come on, come on. Steamrolling a, a lady driver off the road. And then at that point, so then the chase begins and it's like, you know, calming himself down. He's revved up, he's off, clearly breaking the speed limit, which is probably how you can make it look like an accident. And then, as you say, the gunshot fires, glances at the rearview mirror and the lights just flick on and the car's directly behind them again. I, I just think that was really well shot. And just the whole soundtrack as it just builds and it's it's got you on edge yeah yeah definitely it's definitely a scene that i remember as a child it's one that you know i was looking forward to discussing with you because i didn't really want to ruin it but not trying to be tongue-in-cheek it's a scene to kill time but it's so effectively done i wouldn't say kill time because it's it's got purpose to it to me a scene that kills time is something that's completely unnecessary that's that's the kill time this is a pivotal point in the the episode like, if you took this out of the episode, it'd make no sense, the whole episode. No, but as, as there's ways that you could have killed Dr. Magnus without going through all of that, and they have done in the past. Oh. It's not like, you know, they didn't need to yeah. prolong it for the, the time they did, but for great effect, you know, so far, like you said, in this episode, everything has made sense. They've laid it in a way that you're able to follow. And then once you've watched the episode, which you will get to, it all falls into place quite nicely. So, like we sort of discussed, would you say this is the best sort of Mr. on reconstruction scene so far? Uh, the, the Delta Tango is still pretty good, but I, I think this is better in terms of the, the action that leads up to it. And you've got that tension there that was that was in the Delta Tango mistronization, if, if that's what you want to call it. But I think they've all been pretty good, but this one, maybe just because of the cinematography and the whole building up to it, it makes it that much more memorable. I just thought it was interesting. I mean, I know you're a fan of horror films and whatnot, but do you, have you ever read any of the um, stories by M.R. James? I have not. So he's someone who inspired H.P. Lovecraft, who I know you're definitely going to be familiar with. But um, yep. he, was a, he was an English scholar who wrote short horror stories sort of on the side. And he wrote a story called Count Magnus, where Count Magnus is this sort of evil, you know, alchemy. I think he's actually been used in a series of comics as well, but I can't remember if it's if it's Marvel or something else. But anyway, really evil guy. And he obtains his powers by going on the Black Pilgrimage. So <laughs> linking it a little bit, you know, Dr. Magnus goes on a pilgrimage to become a Mistron. And Captain Black has like embraced him. So I thought that was quite interesting, a little link. I don't think it was deliberate. But I thought it was quite nice. Are you saying that our boy Richard Conway is big into gothic horror? He could very well be. I mean, 
you know, if you've Cook got day. if you've got the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom on your resume. Yeah, it was visual effects on that. He would have maybe been responsible for the curly mar and the beaten hearts. Yeah, let's not. And the monkey brains. Yeah, we won't talk about that. Humble beginnings in Captain Scarlet, just a harmless murder. So back on Cloud Base, the Angels have completed the sweep, and Lieutenant Green reports that Destiny Angels returned to Cloud Base with nothing new to report. So visually, Colonel White is beginning to get anxious, and we get a, a screen fade to show a passage of time. And the camera pans to Colonel White looking out the window of one of the observation decks as nighttime is closed in, with the Colonel repeatedly stating to himself, nothing. I love how that's a mechanism now, as in Captain Scarlet, is just to get someone to stand and look out on, onto something as a means of contemplation. Colonel White's done it twice, and Captain Scarlet's done it as well. And I just want, I'm, I'm keeping a cant in the head. Of how many times that you used. Well, let's keep that in mind then. So suddenly a voice blurts out over the radio, shouting, I've got it, I've got it, Colonel White, I've got it. And the voices of Captain Magenta, who reveals that while reading the newspaper looking for leads, he read that General Tiempo, commander of the Western Region World Defence, is in London for an operation. And Magenta states that he would clearly be a target for the Mistrons, and that Tiempo in Spanish means time. Kill time, kill Tiempo. So, I have a little nugget of information here. Um, tiempo also means weather in Spanish. Uh, threw it into Google Translate, which is probably not the best thing to do because it has a reputation for mistranslating thing. And as soon as I typed in time, Tiempo did not come up. It was, oh, I can't remember the word. Like, how? I'm no good at other languages. I can barely speak English. Um, but yeah, apparently Tiempo also means weather. So let's see if that would change the plot entirely if it was kill weather. No. Yeah, it maybe he could be referring to, it's going to say Carl Weathers. I mean, it could be. I mean, he's, he's starred in a few films outside the Rocky. Some classics. Also in The Mandalorian, which we talked about last week. We did. Or, more importantly, didn't want to talk about. Well, what can I say about The Mandalorian that hasn't already been said by much better podcast? What do you think of Captain Magenta? The best way that I can describe Captain Magenta is by giving you an example. Have you ever watched Dragon Ball Abridged? Yes. Right. Yeah, I've seen some of it, yeah. So it's Dragon Ball, but, you know, huge fans of the series, but they've made it comedic. More comedic than it already is. But what they've noticed is that certain characters do certain things and have just embellished it for the series. Captain Magenta is one of those characters in Captain Scarlet where he's overly enthusiastic. And so someone online, and I'm doing them a disservice by not knowing who they are, so I'm going to have to try and find a link in the show notes for you. But he has created a series whereby Captain Magenta is like the the comedy relief and either something always goes wrong or he's overly enthusiastic or he drops one-liners we'll get to that later well i think i know what you mean as well but so my opinion has changed now because ever since i've watched that series i can't look at him and take him seriously anymore i have as i always do thought way too much about captain magenta and where he is in spectrum handsome fellow it's fine i feel I feel like he's a step above Captain Brown, but he is now bottom of the barrel because Captain Brown's dead. Um, as you can see, he was not invited to that Spectrum meeting where all the other members of Spectrum were. So clearly he's lower down. <laughs> clearly lower down than all of them. And as you, as we see, is that I feel like this is like he's figured it out and he's like, ah, oh, it's my time to shine. Maybe maybe I'll get to go to Rio. And it's been like, I, I know, <laughs> I know what tiempo means. Also showing he can read Spanish. So maybe 
Maybe he's trying to get a trip to Mexico or Barcelona or somewhere. Well then, perhaps, is this the time to have a little delve into Captain Magenta's backstory? Yeah, let's, let's go for it, see, see if I'm right. This is courtesy of Chris Bentley again. So, Captain Magenta, a.k.a. Patrick Donahue, was born in Dublin on the 17th of May, 2034. Dublin? Yep. When he was three, he his parents emigrated to America and settled in a poor New York suburb. All right, that makes more sense because as soon as I saw him, I was like, he looks like a American greaser from the 50s. Well, he was a grafter and he was able to get a scholarship to Yale University. There he fell in with a daredevil group of extremists known as Group 22 and served a short prison term for his part in the anti Bereznik riots of 2053. The Bresnik riots. So he, he actually joined a large Brooklyn firm as a computer programmer. So there's a little bit more, I don't read too much, but to sort of summarise his character, he's dedicated and meticulous and utterly ruthless. Donoghue makes each assignment a personal challenge. Off duty, however, he is charming and witty, and in his spare time, he designs ways of making world government security buildings even more impregnable. <laughs> which... That's what he does for Which, fun. as we'll see later on, he failed miserably. So there's a little bit of a background to Captain Magenta. Clearly a bottom of the barrel when it comes to Spectrum agents. How would you rank Spectrum in order of importance? Because to me, it goes Magenta, Green, Ochre, Grey, Blue, Scarlet and white, obviously. I mean, that, that seems like the obvious order to me. I don't know if you disagree with that. I'm gonna. I'm not going to answer that question, because I'll tell you why. Because there's going to be more revealed in terms... More colours. Potentially. So I'll wait until that happens before I answer that question. So yes, it comes across like a bit of a cop-out, Chris, okay. but I assure you that there is a reason I've done that. So we cut to the Westbourne Clinic, where General Tiempo is now peacefully sleeping in his room. So the door opens and we hear a figure slowly approach from behind. It is revealed to be the now misteronized Dr. Magnus, but he is stopped by Captain Scarlet, who enters the room turning on the lights. Captain Scarlet then reports that he has been instructed to escort Dr. Magnus and the General to Cloud Base. Back on Cloud Base, a furious Dr. Magnus demands why they've been taken to Cloud Base in the first place, and Colonel White explains that they believe General Tiempo is going to be the target for the Mistrons, and as Dr. Magnus protests that the procedure was supposed to be performed, Captain Blue explains that Cloudbase can perform any procedure, they have the equipment available. Dr. Fawn agrees with this and suggests that due to the threat, maybe they should postpone the operation, but Dr. Magnus insists and is adamant that the procedure must go ahead immediately. And as Colonel White ponders this, he agrees that the General is Dr. Magnus's patient and that the sick bay should be prepared for the procedure. I thought this scene was really good because it gives us something that we haven't really had before in Captain Scarlet, which is trying to watch a villain worm his way out of a difficult situation, which is something I'd like to see more because it, it's really interesting because clearly he's he's trying to figure out, oh shit, how, how do I get out of this? And kind of lends a bit more personality with Dr. Magnus. I feel like he, he comes across as this cocky, arrogant surgeon who's like, no, I'm, I'm in charge. You don't know what you're talking about. And it kind of plays well into his personality. Well, I thought it was interesting. Do you remember that in an earlier scene before Magnus was murdered, he discussed with the general that, you know, if the general had any reservations, they could postpone it for a week or so, or could postpone it for a period of time. Yeah. So as the audience, we know that it's not essential. It doesn't have to happen now. So maybe it's maybe like a another dramatic piece of, of like script. Maybe they could have had the general present in that round table. Yeah, that was the one problem I had was... 
Although he was arguing that it needs to be done now. Couldn't he have just lied or said something that would have been like, listen, this man's life's at stake. You know, if this operation doesn't go ahead, like, describe the consequences of it. Well, he's inferred that by saying that it's a a serious operation, so he has inferred that. But I just thought that could have been an interesting little piece of drama they could have added in that, you know, the camera just closes in on the general and he just turns, doesn't say anything. But then that sort of negates what is going to happen. How they discover that he's a Mr. Yeah. But he's obviously a suspect at this point. So we cut to the cloud-based desk, and Colonel White explains to people present that they all have their orders, and that Dr. Fawn will assist in the operation, while everyone else is going to watch the, pr- the procedure on the monitor. We cut to the X-ray room, where the General is receiving his X-rays, and on the final X-ray, Magnus accidentally places his hand on the General's face as the X-ray is taken. So, the theatre is ready, the operation begins with an impatient Dr. Magnus. As they wait for the x-rays, the radiographer comments on the last x-ray, stating that Magnus should try and keep his hand out of the way. We cut back to the operation theatre again, and Magnus begins. But as the x-rays begin to set, weirdly, the outline of Dr. Magnus's hand or arm is visible on the x-ray. Elsewhere, the operation continues, and the pulsator is activated, where Magnus requests that it is set to 1.7, which immediately Dr. Fawn states this is far too high but Magnus insists that he's the doctor in charge of the procedure so he'll decide. Elsewhere finally the radiographer sees that the x-ray is now set and the arm and hand of Magnus is clearly visible on the x-ray prompting him to suspect that Magnus must be a mistron and he must tell Colonel White. Get that classic trope of oh my god when they're looking at pictures. Well well, what did you think of this then, Chris? Because this is something that now, this is a turning point in Captain Scarlet, this episode. Yeah, I liked it. It's clever. I think it gives you as an insight into how the Mistrons work. It's like an interesting addition to, to the Mistrons. We, we learn something about them. What we've said in previous episodes is everything is unknown. There's loads of questions. And obviously there'll continue to be questions because they'll never understand them entirely. But just for the first time now, Conceivably, there is a way of identifying if someone is a Mistron or not. So that's huge. It'd be big. It'd be really big. So as Magnus takes over the pulsator, the radiographer attempts to stop the operation by trying to enter the room, but it's blocked by Captain Magenta, who has strict orders not to allow anyone into the operation theater. So the radiographer, exasperated, states that he has to go and tell Colonel White. And as the procedure carries on, Magnus turns up the frequencies higher and higher, where the general under the surgical covering, I can't remember what it was now. Yeah, I don't know the technical term for the sheath. Sheath, that'll do. So as the individual under the sheath starts to contort in pain, it transpires that the radiographer tells Colonel White that he suspects that Magnus is a Mistron. Colonel White informs everyone that Magnus is a Mistron, where Magnus gloats that it's too late, the general's dead, but Dr. Fawn, gangster, reveals that he's wrong, he's just killed Captain Scarlet. Again, it does it every week, Captain Scarlet. It, it catches me off guard. I completely forget that he's indestructible. And it just, it got me again. And I was just like, oh, this show. You know, I was like surprised when it was so completely obvious that they could just stick Captain Scarlet in there. But I, I, I really like the scene and I really like the fact that they, they actually followed through and killing him. Because, you know, any other show, they would have jumped in in the nick of time and pulled them out. But no. Well, this is something that I'm going to I'm going to leave to the end to discuss because this is actually quite interesting. This method by which Scarlet is just being killed. So, Doctor Magnus is being rumbled. He proceeds to throw the operation table onto Doctor Fawn, 
as he makes a quick dart out of the Operation Theatre, knocking poor Captain Magenta to the ground. Knocking him off. And as Captain Blue is informed that Dr. Magnus is to be captured, he watches on as Dr. Magnus enters the generator room. Danger to exclamation marks as Captain Grey stands watch with him. So Captain Grey states that there is actually a back entrance to the generator room, so there's a maintenance door, and Captain Blue says that I will go and follow him. Captain Grey suggests that he should follow Captain Blue as well, but Captain Blue insists that he must go alone. Glory hound, isn't he? Now, why exactly he wants to do that? Is it because it's going to make too much noise? That's the only thing I can think of, because in my head I'm thinking, right, we've got a, an armed man in a generator room. Need all the help I can get, yeah, really. Yeah, have all your exits covered. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, I think he wants the accolade of being able to take down a Mistron by himself. So he wants to be the next Colonel White. Yeah. Which we've already seen. Yeah, we, we know what that's like. It's a grim future if he becomes leader of Spectrum. <laughs> Captain Blue enters the generator room from the maintenance door as he slowly sneaks up on Dr. Magnus who has his gun cocked and ready to fire at the door for anyone who may enter. Dr. Magnus realises Captain Blue's behind him and Captain Blue offers another olive branch and states that if he, he gives himself up they'll try and help him but Dr. Magnus quite rightly says that how can he be helped, he's a Mistron and if he's to die, Captain Blue will die first. And this is where Captain Blue becomes a murderer. <laughs> as he throws a dangling piece of pipe, I suppose, towards Dr. Magnus, who gets knocked into the generator, who electrocutes himself to death. Describing this, it feels very commando, very let off some steam, Bennett. No, I was quite... I wasn't disturbed by it. I mean, I laughed at it now, but I actually showed that death to another member of our gym, who was a fan of Captain Scarlet as a child as well, and we both laughed at how... It's his face... As he... How comical it is. More than noise. <laughs> if you go back... I mean, I'm laughing at someone who's been electrocuted to death, so I'm very aware that this is grotesque. But it's just, you know, you talk about the puppets, you can't make that not silly. any more realistic than it is. And I'm not, you know, it's a perfectly well put together scene and it does the job. It's just, in isolation, it's hilarious. Fades to red as well, which is really weird. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I, mean, so. I don't know what artistic choice that. I mean, he's obviously dead, isn't he? But that was quite a, an interesting artistic choice. So we cut back to Cloud Base, and clearly the procedure is now taking place. General Tiempo is fine, and he thanks the people of Spectrum for looking after him during the procedure. Colonel White then wishes to thank Captain Scarlet for substituting the general for the surgery, and that they've actually discovered some interesting information regarding the Mistrons that they are pervious to X-ray, and that high voltage electricity can not only kill men but can also kill Mistron, and then we fade to black as the episode ends. Now, Chris, I just want to get your, just overall, your take of the episode first before I just bring up something I alluded to. Okay, so my overall thought is it was a, a really good episode. Um, like like everything um, so far in Captain Scarlet, they're, they're good and bad, and the good... I really like the opening. It's deliberate ambiguity, just being thrust into this world that we're not used to seeing in Captain Scarlet. I was instantly pulled in by like, what's going on? Who are these people? I need to know more about this. The car chase was really good, of course. Action's always thing we praise Captain Scarlet for, and that combined with it being a Mistron transformation scene was really good. It's probably one of the best we've seen so far. Captain Magenta, of course. His whole role in Spectrum, this little subplot or bit of comedy of him 
being the one that cracks the code of Tiempo, but is also responsible in part for Captain Scarlet's death and for, for Dr. Magnus escaping. So we look back to his character. He tries to make things impregnable. That failed miserably. Yeah, just the fact that like he's so desperate for attention and then blows his big chance of being bumped up the ranks in Spectrum. I really liked the concept of Kill Time and Mr. Tiempo, or General Tiempo. And I, I really like Dr. Magnus as a villain. We saw last week with Goddard this almost the the Mistrons are a bit sentient now compared to the earlier episodes they have their own personality and motives and I think Dr. Magnus has been the strongest one so far other than Captain Black obviously he felt like this cocky arrogant surgeon that was better than everyone else like if Stephen Strange was was evil it's a good thing that never happens I've never heard of a cocky surgeon but what about Goddard in the previous episode then because Goddard seemed to have a, a personality unique to himself yeah i feel like it was almost primordial in a sense because he was following mr on orders but he didn't have the depth that the dr magnus did he was in terms of the bad i would have liked a bit more exposition i didn't know the procedure was for or what it affected or how important it was let's address this now so i think there was the reason i alluded to before is on the release form there was a typing error which uh, Chris Bentley picked up on. So on the form, it said his operation is a stereotactic thermocoagulation of the phalmus. Okay, that's what it said on the form. But I think that is a typing error, as there is actually a very real neurosurgical procedure, and it's actually a stereotactic thermocoagulation. So it's a minimally invasive process which coagulates tissue with heat produced by high-frequency electric currents. Wouldn't you think... That would have been better explained by the students. It could have been, and I, I suppose they had plenty of time to do it, but I suppose the target audience isn't us. Yeah, you, f- you think that. But don't get me wrong, I watch this series, and I think as children's series go, I think I have used in the past, like I was embarrassed by certain scenes. But as a whole, I think this is a very well-written series that puts a lot of TV series to shame that's written now, for, ki- for children anyway, or for young adults or pre-teens. So no, I wasn't too bothered by that. I wasn't really thinking too much about that, but I suppose they actually did base it on a real procedure. So if you really wanted to dive in deeper and you were very observational with the release form, you might have looked into it a little bit more, but no. So they actually did have a procedure in mind just to coagulate, uh, just stop excessive blood flow, really. Okay. So preventing a stroke, potentially. Again, we've seen this a few times in Captain Scarlet. We get General Tiempo, who seems very much a stock character that we're given very little reason to care for him or... Would you recognise the model that they used? No, but to me whenever I watch Captain Scarlet and look out I swear I feel like I've seen some of them before in previous episodes Well, you will have, and you've definitely seen this man before because he was General Ward of Frostline Headquarters Oh, right where, where might equals right, might makes right So this puppet is basically just typecast as a general but the point I was going to make to you is, and this is, again, this is something that Chris Bentley had pointed out, is during this episode where Captain Scarlet substitutes for the general during the operation, they use high voltage electricity during the, the operation. Yeah. So wouldn't that have killed Captain Scarlet potentially? Because he's technically mistronized. He's a mistron, isn't he? Well, it would have killed anyone, but yeah, as a mistron, they are at risk of death through high voltage electricity. Well, see, this is a problem so, I had. I, I got really confused. I thought that whole explanation was laughable to begin with. Laughable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what laughter sounds like. 
Just because the Mistrons are now vulnerable to electricity, everyone's vulnerable to high voltage electricity, so what difference does it make? And then it made me really confused about this whole Mistron reconstruction. I started to think, well, if a person is reconstructed, does that make them a Mistron? And is, are they somehow physiologically different? Or are they humans that are brainwashed by the Mistrons? It just raised more questions for me than it did give me answers. Well, what we do know is that it is physiological. So we know there's retrometabolism, which is something that will be explained, which I've jumped the gun really, but that's that's the basis by which like Captain Scarlet is able to regenerate his cells, basically reform, he heals himself. But two things came to mind by doing this, because there were actually warnings for this series before it aired to say that Captain Scarlet is indestructible. You are not for children so that he didn't just go well i'm captain scarlet so i'm gonna do something really stupid i don't need safety gloves because i'm captain scarlet (laughs) (laughs) um but also like people criticize superman for being perfect but he does actually have a weakness in kryptonite and i'm sure you probably could tell me more weaknesses but i do know that his main weakness is kryptonite so by doing that it makes the stakes a little bit more precarious that he's not indestructible from everything that he can die depending on yeah. the circumstances and I do know they use that to great effect in other episodes so when we get to those you'll, you'll see what I mean but it was just also that if that's the case he's killed Mistrons in previous episodes we're just shooting them so it sort of leaves those little plot holes yeah I feel that's a bit of an issue but on the whole nitpicking I, I loved this episode by the way I mean I reluctant to tell you I've already told you my favourite and we're not too far away from that but this is definitely one of my favourite episodes and I think sitting down and, and trying to just look at it scene for scene I just think it's such a well-composed episode from start to finish. Everything makes sense, and as I alluded to before, once you've watched the episode and you watch it back, everything makes sense. You know, you could nitpick certain things, but on the whole, everything ties in together. The characters are well-structured. I mean, you could argue the general's a little bit bland, but I don't think that's the point of the episode, really. Well, sorry, it is the point of the episode. It is surgery, but he's not the focal point. Yeah, he's more... just a facilitator. Tiempo is just the person yeah. that's in danger. So, again, I just think, and this this is why I like Captain Scarlet, is episodes like this, and thankfully there are many more that are like this. So this isn't, like, the peak of Captain Scarlet. There is much more to Looking come. Looking back on it now, I noticed how tightly written this episode was. Usually you get a lot of people driving to one place or if you listen to last week's episode you, you listen to how angry I got about watching a plane land 30 seconds the, there was none of that in this episode and what a 30 seconds every scene as you said moved the story along and everything was important to the story that was being told which I felt like is a sign of a really good episode so just to point out a couple of bits finally so the end credits that we mentioned last week that were changed they've actually reverted back to the original credits people obviously shared my um, opinion on the spectrums what the UK's answer to the monkeys well maybe they'll come back who knows but also the title Operation Time so obviously the operation of General Tiempo so Operation Time but also all I could think was Operation Time <laughs> <laughs> that was it. To be honest, it's something that, as I'm sure listening to this series, you'll see that we, we do omit a lot of things and we always sort of look back. There are loads of instances where the titles of the episodes are really quite clever. So I think Winged Assassin, although I hated the episode, really looking back, uh, the Winged Assassin being the, the Delta Tango themselves, you know, yeah. White as Snow, Colonel White's alias was Robert Snow. I mean, as, as much as we like the episode, I don't think Big Ben Strikes Again was the best title. Well, it did, didn't it? It was literally, it did strike again. And 
and this is what, how they discovered the, the threat. So I know we're going over all ground here, but I just wanted to sort of point out that we don't ignore the titles, we just omit them from discussion yeah, for some reason. Yeah, no one would want to listen to a three-hour-long podcast where we break down every single facet of Captain Scarlet. I disagree with you, Chris, and if people disagree with Chris or the Roundhouse Rigby, then please put in the comments and we will provide you with a five-hour Captain Scarlet analysis. Seven hours of Captain Scarlet. Hey, listen, mate, I think it's possible, and I think we're the guys to do it. The one podcast too big to be held over one day. So, Chris, it's time to discuss your favourite kill. I am going to have to say the first death of Dr. Magnus. The whole chase scene, the whole build up to it. Captain Scarlet puts most of its effort into its Mr. on deaths, and I think that was the one that won out this week. I too enjoyed Dr. Magnus's death, but I actually enjoyed the second Magnus death. So, fortunately, he died twice, but I think the second one, just for the comic element to it, I have to go with the second one because it was just, as you say, is very sort of superhero, very like Indiana Jones, and maybe that's what inspired him again to write The Temple of Doom. So, Chris, that completes episode 8 of Captain Scarlet, so obviously chronologically that means we must go on to episode 14. No, I'm joking. We go to episode 9 of Captain Scarlet, which is titled Spectrum Strikes Back. So, just based on that title, Chris, first of all, have you seen the episode? No, I have not. But judging from the name, I feel like Spectrum are going to launch a counter-attack against the Mistrons. Okay, well that's a pretty good yeah. guess based on the title. I feel I like it's... out of all of them so far, it's the most obvious one. So this is basically like a Japanese anime title of an episode where everything is revealed in the title of the episode. So Spectrum Strikes Back is going to be the next episode, Chris, so prepare for this one because it's going to be one hell of a ride or is it? We'll find out next week So, from me, Danny Staples and me, Chris Rigby We will see you next week On Spectrum in Review On Spectrum in Review